Yay! That's very exciting. Rob and some of the other characters. Yes. We're going through puberty. We are We're adults now. We are we are men. Yes, all of us. Except for the one <laughs> lady. Yes, I'm um, now a man. Couple exciting things going on uh, in the wider world. It's a week until Comic Con in San Diego. Um, I know there's actually a Game of Thrones uh, panel there event. A couple events happening at Comic Con mm-hmm. with uh, some of our favorite cast members. Um, Micah, who's going to that? It's first off, it's taking place. This Friday the 13th, so hopefully nothing goes awry in uh, Hall H, and it's going to be moderated again. This is the second year that uh, George R.R. Martin is going to be leading the panel, and the actors and actresses that are going to be in attendance, Alfie Allen, who plays Theon Greyjoy, Amelia Clark, (laughs) who plays Daenerys, uh, Lena Headey, who plays Cersei. Yeah. Kit Harrington, who plays Jon Snow, Michelle Fairley, who plays Catelyn, and Richard Madden, who plays Rob Stark. So, <laughs> when, pretty um, good. What's that? Wait, I was going to say, uh, my friend Laura, who also works for Hyperbole, and um, she's on the Doctor Who podcast, <laughs> she, uh, she, she, oh, she texted me when she saw the panel lineup, and she was like, oh my god, Jon Snow, and... Rob Stark in the same panel. <laughs> She's going, actually. She's going to be covering that for Hypable. So if she can contain herself, we should hopefully get some pretty good coverage. So if we see somebody physically restrained from the room, <laughs> we we'll just know. assume it's her. <laughs> yes. Um, well, I, I was going to comment that there doesn't seem to be any of the, I don't want to say periphery characters, but where's Stannis? You know, where's Melisandre? Aww. Where are some of the season two specific characters that we've seen? You know, should we have expected to see them on a panel like this, or is it interesting that they seem to be just uh, sticking to the the basics here? That's true. I mean, it, I guess it is a bit watered down compared to last year. I felt like last year they had pretty much everybody. You know, they had um, the guy who played Khal Drogo, I believe. The guy who played uh, Nikolai Costavalda was there as well. I think. Oh, I might be totally wrong on this. Cut that out in case. No, I think you're um, right. But I think uh, I f- it feels like there are a few less people there, and definitely no one from season two, none of the young adult actors there either. Yeah, and no Peter Dinklage, which is a surprise. No. Oh, Ooh. yeah, that's true. That's the big one that's missing. Uh, so that's it's- possible, though, that there is filming going on. We know season three filming is underway. Not to say that the characters that are on this panel aren't <laughs> They're <important>. all dead. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, Eric, that's a great point. I mean, like you said... Uh, no Stannis, no Melisandre, no Sir Davos, no Captain Creepyface or Duck Sauce. Aww, none of those a, uh, people are, are on this panel and, and really none of the peripheral characters. I mean, a lot of times when you see these panels, you'll see the younger kids uh, from the show. You'll see uh, Christian Nairn who plays – I know. Or, where is he? The and, big name. Uh, <laughs> some of the others. So – I'm sure it'll be a great panel, um, and uh, George R. R. Martin did a great job last year, and I'm looking forward to seeing the pirated video on YouTube. <laughs> yes, I. yeah, like, me, too. me too. Um, as long as Alfie's there, I'm, I'm, I'm content. So that'll be good. But um, anyway, we actually went so fast into the Comic Con, we didn't introduce ourselves. Um, we'll just go around the table here real quick. I'm Eric Skull. I'm Selena Wilkin, and I'm Micah Tannenbaum. 
Goodbye. <laughs> Feels like and we're last, ending the show now. That was last such a short week. episode. Yeah, so so short. <laughs> we wanted to make it easy for Zach to to edit and put together. But uh, no, actually, guys, last week we um, broke new ground, went into new territory, and started discussing the Game of Thrones books, uh, starting with obviously the first book, A Game of Thrones. And we did actually five chapters and the prologue last week in discussion. I think looking back that that went um, really well. And it was really kind of refreshing to talk about these these new concepts that maybe just – I mean they've been in the show. But to see them, to actually read the books that the show is based on is uh, – obviously it's a big undertaking. But I'm glad that we're doing it. And, and normally it's it's the other way around, isn't it? You know, you're you're so interested to see – what you've read in a book come mm-hmm. to life on screen. It's kind of like true. we're doing it in the opposite way. And it's been refreshing though also to see all the feedback that we've gotten on Twitter, on the forums. I know Selena has had a number of comments on Hypable as people are kind of going through and reading along with us, you know, the things that they're catching that we're catching and also maybe some of the things that we glanced over and we didn't pay as much attention to that they were keen to pick up on. There is a there is a lot in these books, um, you know, so that's very possible as well, um, you know, when discussing it. Uh, I just got to say, after recording last week's episode, I, I walked away with this grin on my face, like I just because we had just had a literary discussion, and there's nothing quite <laughs> as rewarding as that. <laughs> it's true. I mean, I absolutely, I'm so enjoying this reread. You know, I sort of had this idea that oh, you know, I would have to. There was homework now at the podcast. Oh my gosh! But then. When I was reading the chapters for this week, I did I didn't want to stop, and I actually didn't. I, I accidentally read ahead, <laughs> but, um, but I also didn't want to stop just because it was so exciting. Yeah, so no spoilers, Selena, for no, what's I about won't. to happen in the next <laughs> chapter. But we are reading uh, this week. We're going to be reading uh, the sixth through the tenth chapter. Now, again, they're not numbered, um, so it's a little difficult to keep track. Um, we use uh, the Wiki of Ice and Fire. Uh, which actually we'll have to provide a link in the show notes. It gives us a list of all the chapters so we can, you know, and they're numbered so we can keep track. But basically the chapters are just named after the point of view and, you know, certain uh, chapters are the same point of view later in forward in the book. So it might be a little hard to find where, you know, where it is that we're starting, but um, on my page count, I think it's about page 60. I'll have to re relook at that. But we're starting from a Catalan chapter this week. And are you guys ready to delve in? Yeah. Well, I don't want to interrupt her and Ned. No, I know. <laughs> Diving in might be the wrong expression. Uh, <laughs> they're kind of in the middle of something at the beginning of this chapter. <laughs> mm-hmm. They are in or the middle Or at the of end, something. I guess, technically. And <laughs> <laughs> Well, basically, um, and George R. R. Martin writes this like really interestingly, right? Because the first two paragraph, she's ta- he's talking about Winterfell. And yeah, he's like, it's really hot like, in the castle. Blah blah and blah. And describing <laughs> the room, he's saying it's hot in the castle. There, there, it's built on hot springs. And then all of a sudden, <laughs> the third chapter or the third paragraph is: so when they had finished, Ned rolled off and climbed from her bed as he mm-hmm. had a thousand times before. And I'm thinking, oh, <laughs> so that's what that's she's just thinking about. What they do, you know? They're doing yeah. It. Yeah, yep. anything um, to stay warm. <laughs> so, but I still, I thought that was interesting that um, there are hot springs so far north. Um, obviously, where else would you find them than in a cold area? But, um, you know, kind of a volcanic, volcanic activity happening. 
underneath the surface of this earth. That's kind of cool. Yeah, I thought it was. It was really smart, obviously, to build Winterfell there. Clearly, those old Starks, you know, had the head, their heads in the right place. But I also mm-hmm. like how Ned sort of had, he didn't like the heat. You know, he just has the cold in his blood. And that's kind of interesting when you think about Daenerys, who literally has fire inside of her. The Starks maybe literally have ice. Yeah, and it's interesting that you should say that because I think the, Song of ice and fire. Um, <laughs> the Stark blood is downplayed a little bit, you know, where it's just like, oh, he obviously grew up in the cold, so he's more, you know, suited for it naturally. Um, whereas the Daenerys fire in the blood seems to be more magical, mm. you know. But they might be, they might both be, you know, equal parts magic and, and, and natural. We just don't know yet. I guess that's also kind of interesting in that way. Not that we're supposed to talk about Daenerys right now. I'm sorry. <laughs> I read ahead. Yeah, you read um, the Daenerys chapter. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I just want to talk about that. No, um, but where, you know, Daenerys' dragons is such a big deal, whereas the Starks, they have direwolves. You know, that's also a yeah. mythical creature that returned in this new era. And that's just kind of like, oh, all right, then. You know, yeah, it is overlooked a bit. It isn't is. It? it it really is. Yeah. The other thing, though, that I wanted to bring up when when Catelyn is just kind of laying there, th- going through her thoughts, you know, she talks about having another son, and how she, you know she's of age still to mm-hmm. to bring him another child, mm-hmm. and uh, we do also get a little bit of backstory about how she was in fact supposed to marry Ned's brother. And that doesn't seem to sit too well with Ned. There seems to be a lot of tension there. Uh, and then there's also the mention uh, of Jon Snow and how Catelyn has always sort of wondered about who the mother is. And, uh, you know, there's there's a lot of contentious issues, obviously, despite this great relationship that we see between Catelyn and Ned. There's a lot underlying, I think, that seems to, to bother both of them in, in different respects. I just think it's – I just can't help but think how amazing it is that, you know, you've got Catelyn and – or Catelyn and, and Ned – and I think that speaks to, you know, what a great guy Ned is. You know, they have all this baggage and they have all these, like, really big things between them. But even then, they manage to have this really strong partnership, you know, a relationship that is, yes, it is because of duty, but they have actually grown to really, really care for each other strongly. Yeah, and I, and I love the that. desire to bring Ned another son, it mm. said, you know, she says, well, Rickon is three, you know, it's been three years, time for another kid. You know, that's something you won't find between Robert Baratheon and Cersei, for, mm. you know, yeah, for but, example. Yeah, you actually won't, you know, she'll do anything to avoid having his children. But, well, um, yeah, but I mean, the interest isn't there, whereas Ned, yeah. you know, um, we're meant to believe that he, that he did stray to create John. Um, you know, You're just all over this theory now. This, I love it. <laughs> in this chapter. But otherwise, he's remained completely faithful. And, you know, later on in this chapter, we discuss or they discuss all of their um, children and sort of what their fate will be. So we last left Ned um, when he was trying to decide he was approached by Robert to become the Hand of the King and join him in King's Landing. And this is something that Ned is still struggling with. Um, until a knock on the door comes and Master Lewin, who has seen Catelyn naked. Yeah, I love that. Before, <laughs> it was so funny. Comes, comes in and actually has a wooden box for them. Um, this was an interesting plot development, I think. Yeah, it was. And not only because, you know, Catelyn just totally takes charge of her own body and she's like strutting around naked, but just because, and that happens, I think, a lot differently in the show, doesn't it? With Catelyn finding out about it's a raven, the Lannisters, right? yeah, I think it is. Uh, Meister Lewin comes in 
um, to their room, much in the same way he does in the book. But I think his line is something along the lines of, um, we've got a, a, a raven from the Eerie, from your sister. Mm-hmm. And um, so they change it up a little bit. But, you know, Eric, what you pointed out, the, the whole plot device where they use this box with a with this uh, um, almost like a magnifying lens inside of yeah, it lens to, to sort of reveal the truth and you know Meister Lewin talks about how he was able to almost undo this jigsaw puzzle of a box and and find the the hidden contents that are you know concealed within and it's it's a it's a letter I guess with a wax seal for Catelyn and Catelyn and is it um it's her sister, isn't it? Yeah, Lisa yeah. Aaron, yeah. Who who is the widow of John Aaron. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, has this they had this shorthand together uh since they were children and so Catelyn reads it and then delivers the news that um, you know, essentially there was foul play involved in the death of John Aaron that the Lannisters um, you know, have covered it up and have caused uh John Aaron's death. And I guess this is really one of the first big changes from the books to the to the TV show because in the show, Catelyn doesn't want um, Ned to go. You know, Catelyn is trying to talk him out of going because she is the one who feels the dread of what is coming. And I guess Catelyn's character in the in the books is a lot more. She's a lot more of a proper lady. In a way, kind of like Sansa is described, you know, she's really well-bred and she has, she knows what needs to be done no matter what she, like her needs she are kind of... She knows her role. Yeah, she knows also. her role and that's also and the thing of her... that might sound sexist, but... Well, it's true. In that time, in that particular time, mm-hmm. she she's very aware of what her role needs to be because mm-hmm. you see even before this, um, you know, before Meister Lewin shows up, she's trying to convince, as, as you pointed out, Selena. Uh, Ned to go ahead and become Hand of the King, saying, uh-huh. you cannot refuse Robert. This is a different Robert than the one you grew up with and went to war with. This is a king, and you can't refuse a king. She knows kind of when to speak up to Ned and when to kind of you know take two steps back. I guess that's interesting in the way that it, in the books, it's Ned who feels the dread. You know, He is the one who senses the foreshadowing that this is going to lead to something terrible, whereas in the show it's Catelyn. Yeah, I mean, I think it's important that she is urging him to go and accept Robert's offer, um, you know, for honor's sake, even if it will mean that she loses some of her children, mm. which she definitely does. Um, and man, is it just me or is it kind of like she clearly has a favorite child? <laughs> Isn't that just bizarre to read? Did because you did you tweet that? Did I, I did see that? tweet that. Uh, I did. I did because I was that, so outraged. <laughs> that was like, the funniest tweet ever. Later in later in, I think John's chapter is when it comes forward. But yeah, she does. does not. Do you do you want to read? It? You, you said something like she really doesn't hide who her favorite she child really is. She really doesn't hide. Yes, it's true. She doesn't hide that Bren is her favorite child above all the rest. And I think it's <laughs> hilarious because you know it's kind of like in most stories you have mother. I mean, I'm sure. I'm not I don't have five children or any children so I don't know <laughs> but um but I, I I imagine some parents are not going to be all selfless and sort of like I love all my children equally blah 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 even though I'm sure some parents are like that but it's just funny to see a fictional character who is so flawed and is flawed in this way where she's not this wholesome mother who just loves all her children. She's like, no, screw that. You know, Arya, you send her away. Sansa, send her away. But Bran... (laughs) Ultimately, she gives into the duty, right? She says, well, Bran will need to bridge the gap between Rob and Joffrey. Mm. 
Um, and so she sees the reason for him to leave. That doesn't stop her from going to the Godswood, is it, and yeah. praying, I think she said, seven times to the seven faces of God, all to let Bran stay. Exactly. And calling him, I mean, even later in, in John's chapter, you know, he's he's my special boy, I think she says. <laughs> um, <laughs> and I yeah. just think, wow. Well, she got you know? her wish. Yeah. She did get her wish. She wanted. But it's funny, like, how in the show, I mean, in the show, I think Rob is made out to be her favorite child. Probably also because she spends most time with them, you know? But, most time with them. Yeah. yeah. So I guess the plan is for the Stark children, Rob is going to stay at Winterfell. Um, I guess this is so that he can grow into... He needs to being, be the leader, yeah. ...running it in his, in his stead. So I guess it's between Catelyn. Master Lewin's supposed to teach Rob. Doesn't Ned say, you know, teach him teach him everything mm-hmm. um, that he needs to know? So he can, he can one day... He's like essentially next in line. Um, right. So Rob is staying at Winterfell, whereas both women, um, Sansa Stark, Rob and Ned have already talked about marrying her to Joffrey in order to strengthen the unity between their houses. Um, and Arya Stark, you know, just needs a kind of southern refinement I that know. hasn't existed in this barren uh, north. And then uh, Bran obviously going around and Rick and being three is is staying at home. Uh, then the whole issue comes up of Jon Snow. And again, Catelyn just doesn't want anything to do with him. Um, I know. I they're feel kind so of bad at a disagreement over what should happen. And then Master Lewin brings up that Uncle Benjen uh, actually heard from Jon that he wanted to take the black. Um, Catelyn could not be more thrilled. And Ned is just kind of unsure. But he gives it. Yeah, and I mean, you pointed out, and I wrote this down as well. You know, you you get a little bit of of uh, a look back at when Catelyn has tried to find out from Ned who, in fact, is Jon Snow's mother, and uh, you know, it's it's noted that Ned must have loved Jon's mother fiercely um, to not sort of betray her identity, um, because the name that she brings up is Ashara Dane uh, amongst probably others that she's tried to uh, to throw out there to see if, if they would catch on. And, and I thought that that was really interesting because, yeah, Ned could have potentially loved John's mother fiercely, but doesn't mean in, in the sense that we're all thinking. And, mm-hmm. and he also mentions that, quote, John is of my blood. And yeah. that doesn't mean that John is his son. It, it just doesn't. means Are we that- pretty much sort of all in agreement? Like, are we all on board with the Lyanna Stark theory here well i i mean i'm sure there are several variations of that theory yeah i think reading this knowing having heard that theory prior to reading the books reading this chapter i thought okay clearly this is like a big mystery we're supposed to wonder who's mm-hmm. john's who, who you know who john's parents are right i mean ned is so shady about it i guess it said <laughs> in the first year of their marriage ned is campaigning and he's off and he comes back with you know the child john all he says to Catelyn, and this is like the final word, is that John is, quote, of my blood. Right. And you he know. refuses to send him away. And even just like fostering him somewhere else and sending mm-hmm. money to care for him. No, he he keeps him at Winterfell. And that's kind of fit, you know, if we, and I know we talk about this every every time because we're all like, you know, in, in with the theory. But if we say that Lyanna Stark is the mother, that's where the promise me Ned um, comes in because Ned is too honorable to ever break a promise, no matter the cost. You know, he would rather lie, even though he's also too honorable for that, than to break a promise 
that he would send John away when he promised Lyanna that he would keep him hidden or safe or whatever it was. Yeah, I mean, apart so apart from calling John Snow son, um, you know, really he's he's really just protecting him. Um, yeah. You know, and and in in any way that he can. In fact, I think later on Jamie says, "I'll take an honorable man over." Over a, an ambitious man. An ambitious man, yeah, any, any, any day, um, simply because uh, Ned is not going to um, betray that. And if it's a promise, if it is a promise he made to his sister, um, you know, perhaps for her protection, for John's protection, you just get the idea that John has such a bigger destiny than what is, you know, currently available to him, that he has a purpose, that he has a heritage he doesn't know about. Um, mm. I love that that kind of stuff is imbued in the text because we see it in the next chapter from Arya. We see it in the following chapter with Bran. You know, they all seem to have their own uh, destiny path, you know, ahead of them. And John's has been to, you know, learn as much as he can being a bastard, and and an event, and you know, currently it's to go off and take the black. But I just have a feeling from how all this is playing out so far that John is going to be a principal character, you know, later on down the line. And we've, we've seen as much on the TV show. So perhaps that's not as much, you know, my reading into it as it is me having seen the show, but yeah. I think, I think the evidence is there in the text. Yeah, no, I definitely agree. Um, so going from Catelyn, we go to Arya's chapter. Um, and this is, this is cute because just like in, you know, having seen the show, when I was reading about Master Lewin, I thought, they cast him perfectly. Um, <laughs> and now in Arya's chapter, I'm like, yeah, yeah, I can see this. She's, She's this. not really horse-faced, the actress, though. Oh, no, okay. She's much not prettier. Not horse-faced. Not horse-faced. They always but cast that's... pretty actors to play supposedly <laughs> ugly people, though, don't they? Isn't that a thing, though, that's kind of important that she is – she has the Stark's face? That is um, important, and that is interesting, Going back to the John thing, that she is the only one who looks like John. Mm. You know, all the others look like their mother. She looks like their father, like John does, like a Stark. And I like I like the fact that she has the this described as having the hands of a blacksmith because I was immediately like Gendry, foreshadowing. <laughs> <laughs> so when Gendry holds her hands, it's like holding his own. Yeah, hand. it's like <laughs> that's well, kind of yeah, weird. I mean, connected. I, it's great though the the tie between the two of them also you know in terms of looks but then also with relationship it they seem to yeah. have this really close bond between you know uh, each other and aria kind of looks up to john as as this older brother mm -hmm. and really seems to be the one that she gets along with the most out of everybody else and i think in part it's because she feels in a way like she is the bastard child of the starks because you know, she's not as pretty as Sansa. That comes up in this chapter. Um, she's not as um, well-versed in sort of the manners of, of being a lady. And, you know, she, she feels sort of isolated because the, the, the group of people that she gets along with best are, are the guys. And, you know, nobody's going to really tolerate her being around, especially when you have Joffrey and Tommen who, who are visiting Winterfell. So... Um, John is really the only one she can go to, and and now sort of the as we see as we read in the next couple of chapters, there's a separation coming, and I think it's it's very difficult for the both of them. Yeah, it's interesting that you mentioned that because you know Arya feeling like an outcast. So far, we have three different you know different kinds of outcasts essentially that we've met. 
um, you know, Tyrion physically is different than, you know, his family. His family is so um, important and illustrious. And, you know, he's an imp. He's he's a physical outcast from, you know, the honor that, that his family befits. John is an outcast through, you know, he's a bastard. He's born out of wedlock. He, you know, he doesn't fit, uh, you know, in that sense. And then Arya doesn't fit the traditional... Uh, gender role in which she is, mm-hmm. uh, you know, has been assigned to become a lady, um, and she doesn't fit that way. And they all seem to have the, you know, the, the, that same thing in common that they are outcasts. That they, you know, find things in each other that uh, make them whole. To some extent, Bran is an outcast as well. You could argue that's very true. He sort um, of sets himself out, if you will, by always sort of climbing and observing everybody else from. From up above, <laughs> if you will. <laughs> so, um, so I think that that he sort of he feels isolated as well. There's a lot of isolation with these characters. So, is the yeah. argument just then that well, George R. R. Martin has just created different, you know, a great I, set of different characters? I think that's an argument, but it's also an argument that he is George R. R. Martin is is making us empathize with these people because of the way they are different. All these characters are, are are sort of presented in their differences. You know, Catelyn is sort of very focused on the fact that she is among these northerners, but she's not like them. You know, Arya is focused on the fact that she's among these ladies and, and these Starks and she doesn't look like them. Obviously, Jon is very clearly an outcast. Tyrion is an outcast. Bran is focusing on the fact that he's sort of apart from everyone else. He's alone. He doesn't really understand a lot of the things that the others are doing. And obviously we get to Danny's chapters and, and she feels like an outcast. You know, it's all about bringing us closer to them because they are different. Like we are different watching the story. Does that make sense? So, so we, we feel bad for all of his characters. <laughs> just for, yeah. different, for different reasons, though, except which for is Theon. so interesting. Except for Theon. <laughs> I'm just yes. joking. He's also kind of an outcast, though. You know, there's a point in the chapter, though, too, where they mention that Arya has named her wolf Nymeria. And mm. Nymeria was this warrior queen of the Roin and she led people across the narrow sea. I, I'm guessing it was almost a battle, right? She, she led her people in battle across the narrow sea. And I mm-hmm. thought that was interesting in the sense that we don't really know where Arya is going at the end of season two. And maybe she goes across the narrow sea. Maybe she doesn't. Um, you know, the fact that she would name her direwolf after somebody like this, it could have poten- potential implications later on because we've talked about, you know how important the direwolves are in terms of their representation of the, the characters that you know they're associated with. And can I just say that because Zach isn't here to make the Harry Potter reference, <laughs> I think I will. That, in. Do you guys know what I'm going to say? No. Well, basically, that Arya got her direwolf's name out of a history book, just like Aww, uh, Harry Hedwig. got Hedwig's name yeah. out of a history book. You know, named named her Hedwig after a name he that you know that he had found, and 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 so I think even um, Arya is is chastised by is it is it Bronn or is it it's not Joffrey? It sounds like Joffrey, but he's just like oh you know that's some name out of a, a book somewhere you know so totally different than Ghost or Grey yeah, Wind. It's when uh, it's when Bran is going through. Uh, trying to figure out a name for his direwolf, yeah. and yeah. and he's thinking in his mind, you know he he. Yeah, exactly. That that's when it happens because he also remarks that Rickon's name of Shaggy Dog is such a stupid name for a dire wolf. <laughs> They're so critical of each other, these siblings. 
It's it's funny. I mean, we haven't heard from Sansa yet, but yet we got that whole scene where Sansa was shown behaving, you know, among her group of girls. I know. Um, She's so easy to dislike, isn't she? Like, I know later <laughs> we sort of change our minds about her, but at this point in the story, I remember now why I didn't like her. Well, I like that Arya says she's talking for a moment during the needlework class or stitchwork class, whatever it is that they're exactly doing, about how Princess Marcella's knots are also, you know, crooked, probably just as crooked as hers are, but that the teacher is 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 not paying attention to that, that she's more of a flatterer, and that it's all some kind of high game of entertaining the royalty that Arya just can't get behind. You know, even being a lady is, is, is more like a game, and it's less like real, you know, so something like stone or swords, you know, it's, are real. And this this manners game is just not something that Arya has a talent for. Can I just say, as the, as the only female here, I'm I was totally an Arya growing up. I completely emphasize oh. in that. <laughs> I would be climbing the trees and you know using my little wooden swords or what have you. In Sweden. Yeah, in in, in you know yeah the all the trees, the, the, the backwoods of Sweden. <laughs> yes. Yeah. But isn't it interesting though how quickly you can associate with a character like. It's almost as if George R. R. Martin is writing for you to connect with a character almost instantaneously. By creating so many different ones and then having them all be sympathetic? No, but also just, you know, like we were saying before with making them outcasts. Because everyone, I think, can identify with having been looking in on a situation that you don't feel a part of. Man, I hope we get a Theon chapter soon so I can connect to him. <laughs> oh, God. Not in this book. We're not going to, no. That's going to Really be a not while. in this book? No. Man. No. Not for a couple of books, I think. Yeah. And wow. and what I meant, though, is that you have sort of the these juxtaposed characters because you're reading Arya's chapters. It's the first time you're reading anything from her perspective. And then all of a sudden you have Sansa and you're immediately, your first inclination is to dislike her. Mm-hmm. And that's just because of the way that, you know, she interacts with Arya because for whatever reason, even within a first couple of paragraphs, you're already sympathizing with Arya and you're already kind of on her side. And I just think that that's it's weird because, you know, and I guess that's what happens when you're reading a book from a character point of view. It's kind of the same thing with Tyrion. You kind of jump on board with him right away just because of the way he acts and the things that he does. Mm. And they may not be the, the most appropriate things, but they're kind of cool. And he's kind of an ass, but he's kind of sarcastic at the same time. So you're you're drawn to him. Um, and also because of the element Selena was talking about, because he is an outcast of his family. And you kind of want to see him stick it to them in some way. He's not afraid to slap the prince. <laughs> right. Oh, yes. The origins Which of the imp slap. It's coming soon, later. you guys. Speaking of the, speaking of the prince... Um, really quickly, this happens in Arya's chapter, but Jon Snow and Arya are watching the courtyard fights. Um, I guess it's not, it's not Rickon, is it, who's fighting? Um, the, the other prince, Tommen. Um, yeah, it's Bran. And, uh, they see that Joffrey has actually a different coat of arms, um, that he's wearing other than just the Baratheon, uh, you know, lion, or no, sorry, pff, I screwed that up. The Baratheon stag, it's also got a lion on it for the Lannisters. Um, so I thought that was interesting because it shows how much power Cersei and her family have exercised over King Robert. And I think that King Robert 
is almost the way that she, I, the way that she views him as if he's a joke, you know, but also at the same time, it's like, it really is a, I want to say emasculating kind of move for the Lannister house to assume their presence on, you absolutely. know, the new coat of arms. It's absolutely this, this ridiculous kind of, I think even John says, you know, the stag wouldn't do, you know, it, it had to also be the lion. What's with that? And yeah. Even the comparison is made between if they had done it with uh, the Starks and Tullys, it would be a dire wolf with a fish in its mouth. So <laughs> Arya yeah. thinks that's ridiculous. But it's this dialogue that Arya and John have and also you know, just what it says about the Lannisters and the Baratheons. I, I don't know if it's that they don't take Robert seriously. I, I just think maybe Robert has other things on his mind and he's not as focused on what Joffrey is wearing every single day. But – you know, that is a huge statement because normally if this is Robert's son, you know, he's heir to the throne, he should be wearing something that's emblematic of the house that he belongs to. And because Cersei has married Robert, he's Joffrey is a part of House Baratheon and that should be a stag. There should be no lion on there whatsoever. And so it, you're right. It shows the level of control that Cersei has, not necessarily over Robert, I think more so over Joffrey. And we see more and more throughout, you know, the, the, the book, how much of a mama's boy Joffrey really is. Yeah. I, I was looking forward to seeing that in this book because in the TV show, again, it's kind of like Joffrey doesn't ever have any relations with Robert. Um, there are a few lines, I think, where Robert says funny things about Joffrey, you know, not being a real man, stuff like that. But really, there's no interaction between them, and I thought that was such a shame because when it's revealed, obviously, where Joffrey comes from, that he has no Baratheon in him, um, except perhaps by marriage. You know, he is more of a lion. He's got the blonde hair. He looks so much like Cersei and Jaime. You know, there's just no connection between Robert and him. I think it should have – maybe should have been even more obvious to everybody else that clearly this kid's just a Lannister, you know? Yep. And Cersei is not doing very well to protect herself from that truth. To be perfectly honest, you know, by by not playing up the Baratheon side of Joffrey, you know, by letting him be a mama's boy, that sort of thing. That's my Good theory. Point. Obviously, we'll read more about that later. We move on to Bran. Move on to Bran. What? Uh, here, you take the lead, Micah. What do you think about this chapter? I really liked how they spent so much time describing you know, Bran's adventures around Winterfell. I love that. Did it? Did it make anyone else want to go climb around rooftops? <laughs> like just just me yeah but i'd the probably get arrested around here yeah, yeah. but yeah, the, the descriptions of of him just every it was so detailed i'm like where has george r, r. martin been climbing around to get these exact descriptions <laughs> you know you see it you know somewhere in ireland i don't know but like it's just it's so real to every little touch of the stone and the way that he feels as he's ascending and it's just it's so fantastic that was my favorite part of the chapter was that description of him climbing this might be a stretch but i know george r, r. martin is a, is a huge comic book fan but it almost seems like bran is a bit like spider-man like Spider <laughs> he's just jumping from building to building he can scale walls with leaping from gargoyle to gargoyle yeah, exactly. wow, that's and, so funny well it's it's true it's true um and there are comparisons made like he is more like a bird almost, you know, where he is at home up high and, you know, the ground isn't for him. His mother said that she thinks he, you know, started to climb before he started to walk. Things like that. Again, I, I think I, I related to, you know, having a greater destiny where he's kind of a somehow 
he's a he's a man of the sky and you know he's been grounded um but really you know he has the capabilities to still take flight from all of that and i mm. think that's really interesting from a character perspective reading this about him um and then the other funny thing was all the things his mother and company did to get him down to stop climbing um like creating a dummy of him and having master lewin throw him throw it off the tower to show what would happen you know that was just so fun to read yeah you know he's being chased by the guards at times and you know they tried to punish him uh, once was it by making him sleep in the uh the godswood yeah and then the godswood climbed and out he ends of up it. in yeah in the top of the tree you know and 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 ned says to him that you're not my son you know or something you know in jest obviously i know we've spent a lot of time already talking about who's really ned's son but <laughs> we don't need to go there but you know i think for bren he's just such a free spirit and you know well, obviously, in later chapters in this book, you know, w- with him being injured the way that he is in this chapter, we we get to kind of experience his dreams, and I think that ties a lot into uh, what you were just talking about, Eric. You know, kind of him being this this being that sees, you know, from very high above, and and kind of watches everything that's going on, and and that's why when Selena brought up last episode, it's so great that the book opens from his perspective with the exception of the prologue and we're kind of seeing everything all these characters were introduced through his eyes yeah that's a really good point it does lend a certain weight or credence to his observations yeah mm-hmm. um having done that now unfortunately he obviously observes something that he wasn't meant to mm-hmm. yes he was and uh we know this this moment very well from the series you know, even though obviously there's a, I think someone said last time there's a lot more talking and a lot less action. Screwing, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah that's but true. I think this part is sort of it's it's so interesting because they're so obviously kind of in part to make sure that the reader understands, but they're very explicit about their evil plans. You know. Oh well, when they think nobody's watching, right? Nobody <laughs> yeah. would, nobody would dare, and they're kind of like half having sex. And half talking about politics, which is mm. kind well, of it seems cool. Jamie really wants the action, and yes. Cersei just keeps talking. <laughs> well, she, I think she wants to be uh, overwhelmed by by him. Is is the is the feeling that I got? Um, because she is concerned. She has genuine fears about Stark, about Ned joining Robert. You know, these old I want to say college friends. You know, college buddies, frat mates. You know, flatmates, whatever they are, mm-hmm. um, you know, bros. being hand in hand brothers, you know, really helping out. And in fact, she even says that she was sure that Ned would say no um, to it all, you know, and, and that that was why she was comfortable coming here to begin with. Um, so I thought that was fascinating. And she's got a lot on her mind about about the whole situation, about what happened with John Aaron. She says that uh, given the relationship between um, Catelyn and John Aaron's widow that, you know, her sister, that she's surprised that she wasn't there to greet them, you know, with her accusations herself when they first arrived at Winterfell. All this stuff, and Jamie's kind of like, you're right, Micah, he, he doesn't want the action. He's just kind of like, yeah, <laughs> that's fine. It's it's fine. I'm, you know, let's just, let's just do it. Or, and it's all, it's interesting, though, that this is being described through the eyes of, of a seven-year-old, you know, that he says they're wrestling with each other, mm-hmm. you know, and 
it must have been weird for George R. R. Martin to write uh, you know, what Bran is seeing. Um, and then, I mean, we all know what happens. We all know Jamie throws him out the window. Um, and But there were a couple of other things, particularly in this chapter, to note, I thought, for Bran. One was that he was he was very much convinced that his direwolf could understand what he was saying. Mm. Um, he was very much scared of the werewood because of its face. Um, and yeah, he possibly- does like the werewood, which is interesting. Yeah. I also so- thought I thought it was hilarious. I don't know if any of you guys had the same um, feeling reading this. The part about uh, Jamie sort of taking his hand. And then sort of pretending like he's going to save him and, and then letting him go. I don't know if any of you guys thought Lion King, but that's what oh. came to my mind. <laughs> it's like exactly like Scar and Mufasa right there. Wow. Like the exact, you know, if he had, Jamie had had claws, that would have been the scene. I'm seeing yeah. it now. It's that, playing that, in my head. Thank you. That's, that's, <laughs> that's, that's a nice It's playing in the little there. movie theater in my head right now. Yeah. Scar throwing Mufasa off into the stampede. For lack of a Harry Potter reference, I'll throw in uh, the Lion King. But this King. chapter... <laughs> It, it opens with so much optimism because Bran is so excited. I mean, he's disappointed in a way that he's leaving Winterfell, but he's so excited uh, to go away, you know, to, to head to King's Landing. You know, he really wants to be um, part of the King's Guard and to wear that cloak. And he talks about some of the, the members that have shown up here, but he says that actually Jamie Lannister is more of, 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 you know, a member of the King's Guard than anybody else. And, it's interesting that Jamie is the one that throws him out the window after that. Yeah, uh, but there's there is so much sense of of hope for him, you know, and he's excited that he's not riding a pony anymore. That he's going to be riding a horse, you know, and he's going on this this great adventure with with his father, and he's excited to meet like Sir Barristan the Bold and 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 all these people once he gets there. Um, and then it ends with him, you know, just being tossed out the window. And I had never read the books um, before I saw at least the first book before I saw the show on HBO. Selena, do you remember or had you read um, you know, a Game of Thrones prior to season one? And, and what was your thought when this happened at the end of the first episode? Did you think, holy shit, they just killed a kid? I thought he was dead. Yeah, I thought he was dead. And I sort of, I, I actually, funnily enough, I brought this up last episode as well. But you know in Lost how they were going to kill off Jack in the first episode and then yeah. they changed their minds mm-hmm. um, and made him obviously the real lead character. But I thought it was like that and I'd heard, because I hadn't read the books, but I'd heard about George R. R. Martin and how he was not afraid to kill off characters and blah, blah, blah. It's like, holy crap, <laughs> you know, he started off. I was, the kid, I was too soon, too soon. I was convinced yeah. that all that was was just an introduction of of a Jamie and Cersei's relationship and then he died and then that sort of tragedy was going to bury it again. But no, yeah. he didn't die. And I was sort of like, when you found out he didn't die, I was like, oh, just kill him. <laughs> it's very yeah. heartless of me. Part of me wanted to go online and, and find out you know, what happens to him, but I, I prevented myself from doing that. I waited a week to see. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's that's a good thing. Aren't you glad you did, Micah? Spoiling ourselves is uh, yes. a, a quick, a cheap <laughs> thrill, but... Uh, It'll I would mean- never do that when what you're talking <laughs> what? about. Um, <laughs> yeah, so I guess moving on to Tyrion's uh, chapter, if there was nothing else, um, it's been four days. It was a short chapter. It, it really was a short chapter. Not a whole. It lot was basically just Tyrion, like all these actions going on. Then we have like a short break in which Tyrion sort of spouts off these amazing one-liners. <laughs> it's back to the action. <laughs> yeah, basically he goes down from the tower. 
and then goes to have lunch with his brother and sister, and that's the end of the chapter, right? Um, obviously encountering people along the way. So it has been four days since Bran fell, but Bran is not dead yet. How about that? The little guy's got some fight in him. I think it's said later in this chapter, too, that uh, the, the howling of his direwolf. Um, well, first of all, it, it wakes Tyrion up or it rouses Tyrion. Basically, the direwolf that does not ha- yet have a name um, has been howling ever since Bran, um, you know, was, was I want to say, hospitalized. But mm-hmm. fell. I mean, remember, his, his, his direwolf was even howling at him not to start climbing. Yeah. It's as if the direwolf had this superhuman sense of, or super wolf, wolfian sense of, you know, um, psychic ability where he could tell that, that obviously something was, was going to go wrong. And so, someone even said that, um, like in the chapter, I don't know if it was Tyrion or someone else, that they sort of hinted at the fact that Summer's howling was keeping Bran alive, mm-hmm. which I thought was interesting. Summer is going to be its Is name. the wolf, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So... And Cersei remarks, I think it's Tyrion that says it, because Cersei remarks that there's something off about the direwolves that she really doesn't like. I I think the the line was something, it it seems that when they shut the window, Bran's breathing um, fell, but when they opened the window and the howling resumed, his heartbeat picked up again. Yeah, yeah. and if I were a Lannister, I'd be gluing that window shut. I'd be like up there in the night, you know, just to try and make sure that happens. Obviously, they have to resort to a little bit more desperate measures, if I'm remembering correctly from the TV show. Um, But yeah, it's 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 a magic. It's a kind of reinforces the idea that the direwolves were given to the Starks for a reason or found for a reason that there is this connection between House Stark and the direwolf, that it's not just a simple that, you know, the the two creatures, specifically Bran and Summer, are keeping each other alive or that their bond transcends the you know the norm. I mean the the real kind of center of this chapter is is the the meal that they're all having. You know, Tyrion is there with with Cersei and and Jaime and and Cersei's children. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Well, that's not. That's not. Hold on. Let's not skip the the imp slap. Oh, you know the yeah, original yeah, imp true. slap. You know, one point <laughs> Out of respect. Out of respect for one of the first titles of our of our show episodes. Yeah, holy! Um, I was so well, excited. <laughs> even like, before yes. that, even before that, let's just mention here quickly. You know how, like on Lost, Selena, you would know this. They're you know they're shown reading certain books mm. um, that may have themes in common with the mystery of the show. Well, Tyrion's reading about the changing of the seasons of the yeah. realm over over the course of a hundred years. We we obviously know at this point that winter is not something that happens once a year, every year, um, but it's actually something that can last uh, decades. Um, so I thought that was just very interesting, very pertinent. That that Tyrion is kind of I don't know doing some research. He's getting his book on about this kind of phenomenon, which is still very new to us as readers of this book, because it's not, it's, it's already said that winter can last for, I think at least a decade, um, you know, but it's not gone into yet. Tyrion is shown reading this book as if he's trying to understand it better. And I thought that I like that kind of picture in picture window into window of even a character in the book. There, saying, there are moments like this with him though, throughout the series, he's sort of this very intellectual individual. Mm-hmm. And he makes a point of learning the history of whatever it is that he's about to experience. You know, we talked about just now the seasons, but also remember from season two, 
when he's you know looking through all of those books uh, when he's about to engage in war mm-hmm. with Stannis Baratheon. So you know, he's somebody who relies on text very much, and he's also very cautious because of of the the age of these books of, of when they're returned. You know, he's he's very respectful though of the fact that he's in somebody else's. Um, home and not to really disturb anything. So there's there's sort of this likable side to Tyrion right off the bat. Mm-hmm. He says to the the uh, other guy, the younger man who's sleeping, you know, this is the only full text I've seen of this. You know, the the full copy I've seen of this this one text. Make sure it, you know you return it um, carefully. And he even repeats himself. It's, it is said patiently. He repeats mm-hmm. himself so that you know that that the guy can wake up and then go do it. So, I think that um, characters in books who who appreciate books that's sort of a that means that we as readers of books sort of in, instinctively like them, doesn't it? Well, I, I I gotta say, after I read that chapter, I put my book down and went to get a drink, but I put my book down very carefully. Oh, <laughs> out of respect. I just I, I say, okay, thank you, Uncle Ray. Uh, you you taught me how to handle books. I was like, <laughs> because Tyrion cares about books, I too shall. Um, but yeah, so that was fun. Um, Tyrion leaves, goes downstairs from the tower, and comes up with Joffrey actually, and and Clegane, Cle- uh, Sandar, Clegane. The, the the hound. hound the hound this is so interesting to me the hound and because seeing him on the show having seen him on the show reading about him and, and trying to see him as just a regular character i'm sure it'll be a little while before we get a point of view from him if we do but i'm just trying to figure out what he's all about because he seems to be to be perfectly honest he seems to be on joffrey's side in this whole scene and not on Tyrion's. yeah I mean, yeah he I doesn't think... like Tyrion. His job is really to protect Joffrey, um, and Tyrion is you, – you see his perspective on Tyrion uh, right away, you know, is, is basically to treat him like an imp and to treat him as if he's non-existent. He basically says that, oh, the, the air is speaking to me. Where is that coming from? <laughs> you know, and, uh, you know, he he basically does it for Joffrey's amusement um, and also probably because I don't know that he likes him very much, as you know, Selena just pointed out. <laughs> Im slaps. Uh, no, I guess I don't really know what there is to say about that, except you know that it sort of makes us like Tyrion. I think that's that's sort of a funny thing how we read these books from the point of view of certain characters, and then again, it's we we like the characters that they like, and we don't like the characters that they don't like, which is always interesting. When then you get someone who you like and then they don't like someone else that you like and it gets like <laughs> it gets really confusing like later in the chapter as well i think because we've just been introduced to jamie who we hate now because he threw bran out the window but then Tyrion is like oh but you know he's my brother and he's nice to me and then we're like oh but <laughs> are yeah, we supposed yeah, to like him right. now you know that is conflicting because he says something like yeah he says he can forgive him for most things because mm. jamie was always slightly more accepting than everybody else yeah sorry that went off on a tangent there but <laughs> that's fine um, but yeah no i think that's so funny because that's like when i first read that i remember hating jamie and then reading that line and then sort of the first the first spark of my acceptance of jamie came in right there <laughs> And I was like, oh, but he really? just threw a kid off it. <laughs> I know, but I was like, yeah. <laughs> Do you think it's right what Tyrion does, though? I mean, he's trying to teach Joffrey in the sense that 
Joffrey should be going and paying his respects to Catelyn and Ned after what's happened to Bran. Um, yeah, he acts out a little bit and says that I don't really care about that kid anyway. But is it right for Tyrion to be disciplining him? Is it right for Tyrion to be physically assaulting him? I mean, violence uh, is never the uncle? answer. But um, <laughs> I, I do think that, that said, some fair. kids deserve. I, that. <laughs> no, but I do. Th- I do think it's bad because it sort of teaches Joffrey that that's what you do. You know, that's the whole you know child rearing right. thing. But um, I do think that. I like when Tyrion tries to talk some sense into Joffrey because he does sort of, he tries and he does sort of have this, you know, he loves Tommen and Marcella. He sort of makes that clear throughout this chapter that them two, they are actually decent kids. Um, Joffrey is not. And Mm -hmm. Tyrion wants Joffrey to be decent. Yeah, he's just disciplining him the way an uncle would really. I mean, the slapping thing, okay, that's possibly that is an overstep because he's not his father. But I think it's really the only way you're going to get, you know, something through to this to this particular kid. And I, I do not advocate slapping just any child. But you know, in this case, for the purposes of the book, I think it is effective because <laughs> doesn't that clear <laughs> what? Yeah, I, do, I feel like approved. I do have to do that because I, you know, some of the things Theon does, I can't get behind either. But you know, we've talked about that on previous shows. I think, you know, Joffrey, it works, doesn't it? I mean, that's the point. Joffrey, it's been four days. Joffrey has not paid his respects about Bran. Bran, Bran, now I'm just getting confused. And, you know, he. it's time for him to do that. It's, it's just what the heir of the king should do, especially when it doesn't involve a monthly journey. You know, it's not like he's at King's Landing and isn't even going to send an owl saying sorry about that. He's in their house, eating their food, drinking their wine, I, I assume, if he's that young, you know, to, to be able to do that. And he hasn't made the trip literally up one tower to go say sorry. It is a kind of little shit thing to do, and, and I'm glad Tyrion sets him straight for that. Okay, well, let, let's move on to uh, the meal that's had here between the Lannister family. <laughs> it's very clear that Tyrion knows something's up. You know, uh, he, he intimates throughout the entire conversation that Cersei and Jamie had something to do with what happened with Bran. Here's here's the other thing, is that they're not hiding. I, I, he says they're they're looking more like twins than ever because they're both dressed. They pick the same color of. They, they might as well be wearing the same damn thing. Uh, because they're they're both wearing green, which brings out their I eyes. Know, that's so they're funny. sitting next to each other. I'm thinking, what what's going on here? It's 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 lookalike day. It's like they're, they're five year olds, you know. Their like mom they're, they're, dressed them up. Like. We're twins, so we had to dress alike. Yeah, it's 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 a bit. It was a bit over the top. I thought, especially if they're, you, you know, I don't know, trying to hide their their sameness, their oneness, their unity. I mean, they are Lannisters, so there is that pride where they would be happy to show off their golden hair but on the other hand i'm thinking oh you know Tyrion, it, he can't help but pick out that that something is is amiss well i think Tyrion it's just the knows general them both conversation really well and he is a really clever guy i think he knows what's going on pretty much you know what i don't think we have seen at this point because this is the first Tyrion chapter isn't it or did we have a Tyrion chapter no last we week? had a Tyrion we, chapter last we time. met we met Tyrion through john's chapter didn't we but we I didn't think we had a Tyrion chapter. Oh, you might be right. No, yes. I, I yes. Yeah. This okay. is the first time we're seeing 
things from his perspective. From his perspective. So what we what we haven't seen is what he thinks about John Aaron's passing. Because that obviously, like if 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 it had said anywhere that he was suspicious about John Aaron's ending, he has no reason at this point to be other than the fact that he's a clever guy. Um, you know, it really could have if, if he was implicating his brother and sister in this. I think he's just dangerous. I think that's all it is, is because Jamie's like, you, you know, he, he is playing with him, but I really don't think he suspects them at this point for, for having done, you know, specifically anything to Bran. Or I think it would have, you know, talked a little bit more about how John Aaron was obviously murdered or something. Cause we see in the series, at least, that Tyrion takes the, those kinds of, uh, beheadings and usurpings and poisonings very seriously. Um, you know, as Hand of the King, he certainly doesn't want it to fall to him later on. Yeah, but Tyrion seems very concerned. This is the other thing I think that really kind of draws people to Tyrion. Tyrion seems concerned about Bran. You know, he himself goes and, and visits him. But I think it's more so that as the conversation goes um, further, you know, Tyrion becomes more intrigued. You know, Jamie even makes the suggestion, oh, well, they should just put the boy out of his misery. Hmm. Well, that's interesting to say if, you know, you're just kind of having random conversation about the boy's health. You know, yeah, they talk about the fact that he's going to be a cripple and he's never going to walk again and all these terrible Give things. Give a good clean death. Yeah. Right. But I think in his heart, you know, Tyrion feels for this kid because he himself is viewed as a cripple. You know, he's in a sense, you know, yeah. just like he's viewed as a bastard. And that's mm-hmm. why he's able to connect with Jon. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there there's these true feelings that Tyrion has for Bran. So when all of this is being said about him, of course he wants, you know, to see Bran live and, and be, doesn't he make that quote about, you know, it, it's, I, I can't I remember. I love that specific. line. He said, uh, death is so terribly final. Um, exactly. Life is full life of is possibilities. Full of possibilities. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, but you start to also see the reactions on the faces of <laughs> Cersei and Jamie, especially, um, you know, as we got towards the end of the chapter, um, you know, he says, oh, yes, I hope the boy does wake. I would be most interested to hear what he might have to say. And then Jamie's uh, smile curdled like sour milk. Yeah. Um, yeah. So t- Tyrion's on to something. Yeah, I, I definitely think you're right. Um, at some point, uh, it is mentioned that Bran, his actually f- full name is Brandon, um, which I just think is relevant uh, for two reasons. I noticed one, that he has an uncle, Brandon, which is talked about in the earlier chapters. Um, Ned's brother, obviously, who was supposed to marry Catelyn and then died. Um, and then something I picked up last episode I didn't mention was that there was a Brandon who laid the first brick at Winterfell. It, he was known as Brandon, Brandon the Builder, right? The Builder. I wonder if he's like the great great uncle of Bob the Builder. Brandon um, the Builder. Can he <laughs> fix it? Fame. <laughs> But he built Winterfell. So Brandon is, uh, I want to say a family name, but it's also, it it commands honor. It's like, Mm -hmm. um, you know, like a king's name, like George, like why people are still named George. I can only speculate, but that there, the fact that there have been, you know, X amount of kings Mm, named George. You've got loads of, you've got loads of Brands, you've got loads of Robs, you've got loads Mm -hmm. of Roberts, you've got loads of Johns, you know, the names sort of do go. That's one of the reasons it's so hard to keep track. (laughs) Oh. Yeah, these so, stories. It's so many of the same names and so many variations of the same names. Micah, you were mentioning the conversation turning sour, and I think the chapter ends in a really poignant way, where Jamie says, "Sometimes, brother, I, you know, I wonder what side you're on." Or, or words to that effect, and Tyrion replies, "Oh, but you know how much I love my family," um, which is kind of like, 
uh, cheeky in a way because it's like Tyrion obviously loves his family, but at the same time has been time and time again thrown out of his family for being different or you know something like that. So it's it's very dangerous. Tyrion is is this dangerous force. It's like ending the chapter the way that John's first chapter ended, you know, with the shadow of Tyrion and saying he rode tall as a man, you know, and stood tall like a king. Things like that. Again, it's this uh destiny destiny that's that hasn't yet happened, but is so totally already at play. You know, the forces are at play to give all these characters a really satisfying I want to say life or an active life. They're all going to affect our story. We're not hearing from the point of view of just anybody here. Um, these are kind of the major players that we're all being introduced to. So I, I still like that the book hasn't really settled in yet. You're still meeting these characters for the first time. Um, so following that, we hear from our fan favorite guy, Jon Snow, again. Mm. Um, this is, I think, even later. This is 10 days after Tyrion's chapter. It said it's been a fortnight since Bran fell from the wall. Mm-hmm. Um and what I liked about this is that John is just so very um, emotionally driven, where, but yet so held back by what is proper and what is right for a bastard to do, that he has actually waited until the very last hour to go and see Bran goodbye, because Catelyn has been at Bran's side, literally not sleeping, ever since he fell from the wall, and yeah, and she, you know, John knows that he does not want her. In in or she does not want him in the room at all, and you know to to even see Bran. So he waits till the last possible hour, and then gets you know the courage or the the will to go and and say goodbye to his brother. Um, but again, it's the, there's that struggle there for for John to even go to, to begin with. But there's also that sense that he doesn't care anymore. You know, he knows that he's leaving, he's going away, and this is his last chance. And you know, it, it, you just see him you know, get up the courage and he decides, okay, I'm going through with this no matter what. And he gets a very cold reaction when he first enters the room from Catalan. And I think in this chapter, more so than any other, we really see that for whatever reason, Catalan does not like John. And this is never very much apparent in the show. I don't think they they really draw on this. It dynamic. is apparent in this particular scene in the show. She does like, tell him to get where out. We see him. We see her hatred of him, and that's another thing where we were saying before how it's hard when two characters that we like, you know, we see the the, the story from both of their perspectives, and then Catelyn just has this so unfair disdain for John. It makes it really hard to be on her side. But I, yeah, I, I mean, I don't think she's as mean in the TV show as she is in this book. Um, to him, I could be mistaken, but the thing she does to John in this in this little scene, um, you know, first she tells him to get out, which I think was in the show, um, if I'm remembering back correctly. Okay, that's fine. She's obviously distraught, right, over her son. But later on, she tells him. Um, well, first she confesses. First, we think she's getting a little soft. Because once John is allowed to come in and actually say his goodbye, she, you know, which is a very nice goodbye to a brother, um, she she confesses to John that she prayed for Bran to remain at Winterfell, and and it's kind of like this, oh, you know, be careful what you wish for. Isn't this ironic that you know now Bran obviously cannot ride south 
to King's Landing with Ned and cannot see the world. He'll be confined to Winterfell for perhaps the rest of his life. I prayed for this. Isn't that ironic? But, you know, I thought she was opening up to John. And then when she's leaving, she does something she's never, ever done before, which is call him by his first name. He is so shocked. It is said he should have left. And instead, because he's so shocked, he turns around and looks at her. She looks him in the eye and says, it should have been you. That this happened to. Yeah, that's that's I probably like one that of the coldest in the statements. Show, didn't yeah, it? I mean, what what's the deal? I thought she was opening up to him. Now I just think she's bipolar. So in terms of getting that to know a character, <laughs> yeah, it's a very difficult situation, obviously, that she's going through. But you know, after seeing w- the way that John said goodbye to Bran, you'd think that she would have at least turned off those emotions for a little bit and and not have given him such a nasty uh, parting shot. She is she's very flawed, um, or we talk about how characters are flawed sometimes, and, and the fact that she didn't turn that part off is, is just a flaw. I guess it's not it's not war- worthy of a, of a fancy psychological term, I guess I should take that back. Um, but, you know, she is mean to him, and I think it's, it isn't John's fault that she hates him, but he is obviously more than prepared for that kind of backlash. That's why he waited so long for you know to see brand to begin with um clearly over time and all i wish john's wet nurse had a name because they only mentioned her in this chapter by just Willa that he was, raised. was her name yeah i'm pretty that sure she we was found that out raised by a wet nurse he obviously was never raised by catlin the way he was raised by ned and or you know or i'm assuming his wet nurse so you know that would be an interesting backstory to learn more about but he is more than prepared to, to take this from Catelyn, which is just such a shame that she dishes it out. And the only reason is that Ned won't confess, you know, presumably for John's own um, protection or whatever other reasons. Ned won't tell Catelyn what the story is with John. And if if John's story does turn out to be, um, you know, and I'm prognosticating here, uh, exciting and and have to do with uh, hidden royalty and and splendor and gold and you know, all this good stuff that Ned did it for all the right reasons, you know, then I think Catelyn will owe John an apology if she doesn't already. You know, all this hatred is just because Ned is protecting John, won't tell her the truth. So she hates him because she sees him as, you know, at this point, she sees him as a failing of her, um, you know, herself, really. And, and, and Jamie uses that to his advantage in season two of the show. When he says, oh, you know, Ned went off and, and fathered some other kid, you know, you, must right. be, you mustn't be that strong a woman or mustn't be that, that great a woman. Not and, to make yeah. another Potter reference, but it reminded me a lot of the scene uh, in Deathly Hallows when uh, Harry goes to leave and Petunia calls him back. Okay. Um, obviously not the same result because uh catlin says some rather nasty things uh to to john but um yeah i I do believe she's a flawed character much like any of the other characters in in this series but uh she really just has this strong disdain for john because of what he represents and you know you would think if that relationship between ned and catlin was so strong that he would be able to tell her the truth uh, of who John really is, and that would maybe put her a little bit more at ease. I mean, part of 
the reality for her is that she has to live with Jon Snow every single day. You know, it's not often that bastards are brought to court. That's mm-hmm. mentioned in these chapters. And, you know, none of King Robert's bastards live, uh, you know, within uh, – I mean, obviously, they live within King's Landing, but they don't live with him. You know, they're not um, growing up uh, like Jon Snow is with the rest of the Starks. So that's a very difficult thing for, for her to deal with. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, we see her not handling it uh, well at all. Um, even when he's going away to the wall, I mean, I think she'd be a little relieved, right? That he is um, no longer at Winterfell or no longer around her. Um, that he's doing something. And, and, you know, it is said he's basically doing the most honorable thing a bastard could do. Um, you know, which is which is to take the black um, and defend the realm. But uh, John visits two more people before uh, the chapter ends. There's a brief interaction with Rob, um, but I think the one we'll probably spend the most time talking about is with Arya. Yeah, this is uh, I loved this in the um, in the you know in the show, and reading about it just made me uh, that much more happy about the relationship between uh, the two of them, John and Arya. Um, he does visit the the blacksmith. It, you know, you say that uh, he does he does kind of hang out with Rob too for for a little bit there. Um, but he visits the blacksmith and gets a sword, which is it's said it's a sword designed like the ones in the Free Cities, which is kind of a lot closer to where Danny is at the moment in you know near Pentos and and that sort of thing. And it's this light thin sword, which ironically is named Needle. Which I thought was great because John and Arya both kind of John already had named it, but he knew that Arya would be able to guess the name. Yeah, because you know, they're so on, close. They're which so is close. Amazing. It is amazing. So I love that, their relationship, the two of them. Yeah. And I was um, so you know in the end of season one where you think she's gonna go off to the wall, and I got so excited. I was like, oh, John and Arya reunion, <laughs> and then she got <laughs> sidetracked. Sidetracked, unfortunately. Yeah. But yeah, that's and, and obviously the sword comes with a lot of instruction from John. He's just like, no matter what, don't show it to Sansa, which she already figured. But and stick him know, with the pointy end. Stick him with the pointy end. That's <laughs> his, his first lesson. Stick him with the pointy end. I know where to stick it. It's uh, it's just super funny. Like again, their relationship, but it's a parting, so it's also sad. You know, things are changing, and it's so interesting because. You know, very much like the the pilot episode of the show ends in, you know, I want to say falling action. No, but it's Bran, um, you know, being thrown from the balcony. We've already seen such action and such terror. I mean, there's been White Walkers. There's been, uh, you know, incest and all this stuff is happening. But it's kind of, again, it's easy to read. It's, 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 it's fun. It's quick. And we're feeling real emotion reading this. So I yeah. think that the books are very well written. And, and I like that line that he says to her uh, at the end of the chapter, uh, different roads sometimes lead to the same castle hmm. because she's so yeah, upset that, that they're going well. to be going in a in a different direction. So you wonder, as you pointed out, Selena, mm-hmm. um, Arya going to the wall uh, at the end of uh, this book, uh, but also in season one, obviously. And you wonder, are they going to uh, to be reunited? If not in the next book, maybe further down the line. Mm-hmm. In like book seventeen, <laughs> exactly, <laughs> or something. Yeah. Well, so next time we have, let's uh, take a quick look through chapters here. Um, we can probably decide which ones we're going to read next time, right? 
We uh, have, if we're doing five again, we'll be doing Daenerys, Eddard, Tyrion, another Catelyn chapter, and Sansa. Who's the first Sansa chapter? Woo! Oh, yeah. First Sansa chapter. Well, that could be a nice place to end. Yeah, after Sansa is Eddard again. But let's just stick to five. For everyone reading along at home, which hopefully is all of you, um, is a you better be reading, you guys. Um, <laughs> or Selena's <laughs> going to come after you. Pop quiz next week. You. She's going to hop down uh, from the trees in the backwoods <laughs> of Sweden or Norway and come get you. So, yeah, that'll be including Sansa's first chapter, up to and including. Did we have any owns that we would like to present? Um, from these five chapters, is that I do have an own. I have several actually, but I'm gonna go with them. Um, if yeah, I, I have. Do you want me to just say it? Yeah. Okay, so my no, own. Keep it to yourself. Don't. <laughs> no, I, I don't want anyone. <laughs> Forever to know hold my your own. peace, Lena. I'm owning just in general. No, um, mine is a uh, no surprise from Tyrion again. I will mix it up. I promise. But I couldn't. I couldn't not choose this one. Tyrion. Uh, when Joffrey says, you know. What is it? Just kill the wolf. They won't miss it. And Tyrion says, the Starks can count past six, unlike some princes I might name. <laughs> I thought that was hilarious. Yeah, I was also thinking about uh, Tyrion and uh, the line when uh, Jamie says to him, I hope you're not thinking of taking the black on us, sweet brother. And Tyrion says, what? Me? Celibate? The whores would go begging from Dorne to Casterly Rock. Yes. No, I just want to stand on top of the wall and piss off the edge of the world. <laughs> that was my backup own, actually. Yes, that's hilarious. That was in um, the show, I think, that line yeah, that Dorne, the whores yeah. would go begging. And he does. Well, that's a spoiler. We don't want to spoil it. <laughs> spoiler, <laughs> that, he pisses off the That's the, the wall. number one question on my mind reading this book, if I can forget the series. Will Tyrion ever relive his, his life dream to, to piss off the edge of the earth. But yeah, that's that's excellent. And um, I have to say my own is one of those two. I know it's a cop-out, but uh, Tyrion just kind of has a way about him that, that we can really get behind in the in the sense of owning. Mm. And as bad, as, as bad as it was, um, I guess Catelyn did kind of ultimately own Jon when she said it should have been you. Um, there is another own uh, of Catelyn's uh, sent into us by our good friend um, Tran Wynn. And uh, they say... Catelyn owned Master Lewin with her no-nonsense attitude to get shit done with Liza's letter and her nakedness. She did so, own. That was so awesome. She, I love that. She kind of just walked around naked and she's like, and Ned's like, what are you doing? And she's like, uh, nothing no he Tom, hasn't seen. He, he birthed yeah. all my children. No time for false modesty. <laughs> yeah. So that was cool. Yeah, we do have some Twitter questions, so we can kind of transition to those. Yeah, the uh, the first one comes from Becky, and she asks, Just curious, have you guys ever discussed how all the women on Game of Thrones are ahem, well-groomed? And the answer to that is no, I don't think we've ever discussed that. <laughs> but you I'm know who has discussed it is Natalia who? Tenna. Did you guys read that interview where she was discussing that particular naked scene that she had? And making comments about the historical inaccuracies. Oh, no. Why? Did she take issue with it? She did. She did. Oh. She said she had a huge, dick, apparently, discussion with the costume designer about how she should have not looked that way as she did, which I thought was funny. I agree. If we're talking about that kind of grooming, I can, yeah, I, I can see what the point is there. Um, but I think in general, it's mentioned in... Arya's chapter, she says to, or no, in John's chapter at the end, when he gives uh, Arya the sword, um, he talks about shaving, and Arya says, "But women don't shave," um, which I just thought was 
curious <laughs> to, to wonder yeah, what these girls... he references uh, Septa Mordain's legs and how hairy they are. Yeah. It'd be so... interesting. I don't know how he saw them. Um, <laughs> well, it's know. probably Unanswered something you questions. can't unsee once you've seen it. Um, yeah. <laughs> like a, if I had to guess. So, uh, yeah, I'm just wondering what the women of this world actually look like if they don't shave. I guess that, that constitutes as good a discussion as any, unless you guys had anything else to add. Now, Becky, you know, if you want to discuss this further, <laughs> so many owls said on the uh, Game of Owns forums had a really long sort of in-depth email about the significance of everybody's dire wolves because we were kind of uncertain about that. So, so many wolves says, you guys talked about the true meaning of the wolves in the series and, and if there's anything more to them. I really don't know if this is what you were looking for, but I think they certainly reflect the characters that each wolf is tied to. John's wolf is found away from the rest of the pack and is a different color, reflecting that John is not really a Stark and is somewhat of an outcast considering the way Catelyn treats him and that he is the only one to take the black. Arya's wolf is lost along the way to King's Landing and as far as we know is probably still alive. This reflects how Arya is lost from her family and even though we know she's alive, the rest of her family doesn't know her whereabouts and throughout the second book, many characters state how they don't know her whereabouts and that she's probably dead. Sansa's wolf is killed, and I think maybe this could reflect how Sansa sort of betrays her family in the sense that she has loyalty to Joffrey that she holds on to for a good portion of the book. She's looking to join his house in the beginning, so her wolf dying could show that she's throwing her old house behind and taking off the banner of Joffrey. For Bran and Rickon, their wolves get trained up, get chained up by Master Lewin. This could reflect how they're both stuck and bound to Winterfell, for there must always be a Stark in Winterfell and they only free the wolves once Winterfell is destroyed and Bran and Rickon escape. Also, Shaggy Dog goes crazy and bites a lot of people, which could reflect how Rickon himself sort of begins to go a bit crazy in the absence of any parental figures. And he says, or this, uh, so many owls says, and for Rob, I'm kind of at a loss. <laughs> and this person's <laughs> only read the first two books, so there's no spoilers in that. I think that's really good, especially Sansa's, because that's the one I really struggled with figuring out how her wolf dying ties into her story. Can we add anything for Rob since Rob was not addressed in the, in that email like what I mean, his I dire guess wolf for what, Rob because we don't see his the story from his perspective at any mm -hmm. given time in these books that we've read so far. I think it's kind of hard to because his wolf is just with him at all times. And uh also to wrap up here, we seem to have gotten a really nice message from someone named Lizzie. You guys mind if I read this? Nice. It starts out, damn guys. Damn guys. <laughs> damn it. guys. Okay, I was a little understated. All right. We got this awesome email from Lizzie, and it says, damn guys, you did it. I read slash listened to the whole series, I assume she means on audiobook, just before the second season started, and even though I loved it, I couldn't help but kind of feel relieved when I finally got to the last chapter of A Dance with Dragons. When I heard you guys and girl discussing a chapter-by-chapter chapter for the books in the last episode, I immediately loved the idea but was not planning to participate in the rereading. Listening to this episode, though, and you guys' analysis of the first five chapters made me realize just how much awesome I might have missed during my first read, so now, despite the fact that it wasn't that long ago that I picked up the first book in the series, I will again be reading A Game of Thrones, just so I can really appreciate and experience this story along with you guys. Oh, and Micah, I love that you couldn't find any Theon owns for Eric because they all reek. LOL. <laughs> I have I to say... I completely agree with Lizzie. I was in the same position where I, I, it's, it was a 
it's hard to get through all five books, you know, because they are so long. And I was like, well, can I can I get through this second, you know, reread of them all? But this is so fun so far. I'm really so the enjoying fifth, it. The fifth book is A Dance with Dragons. Is that? Yeah. Yeah. You know, that was just mentioned in one of these chapters. They talk about how the Dance with Dragons <laughs> was the civil war, right? Between when brother fought sister. I think yes. Arya is talking about that. Yes, definitely. Ah, now it's the title of the fifth book. Great. That the, things seem really promising for the next three books, people. Um, <laughs> but it's it's the one book that I don't own. I own the I got like a box set of the first four. I figured I'd read those first. Um, but yeah, Probably so that's a really nice, uh, really nice message from Lizzie. Thank you for sending that in, guys. If you have um, any feedback about how we're you know reading, going through these books, please don't hesitate to contact us. Um, Micah, and definitely send yeah. us your owns for uh, chapters six through ten, mm-hmm. and uh, we'll. Be sure to read them on the next episode, um, just like transcended the one about Catelyn. Um, and even the ones that the three of us discussed with each other, we're sure that there are other owns in those chapters that uh, we may have glanced over. So twitter.com slash game of owns, just add us and uh, we will uh, we will discuss them on the next show. Mm-hmm. Our email address is fully functioning at contact at gameofowns.com. You can email us any question at all or suggestion or comment, and we will read it there in addition to on our Twitter, you can find us. You can find me and all the fandoms that I cover and that everyone else covers on hypable.com. That is H-Y-P-A-B-L-E.com. And, um, you know, we'll have the, the show up there as well as in Game of Thrones, obviously. We'll have lots of Game of Thrones news. Casting is picking up. Lots of rumors flying around. We also, you know, we'll have the Comic Con coverage up. And Game of Thrones is only one of like 30 plus fandoms that we cover at this point. So definitely there will be something for you. So please do check that out. And our website for our show and for the uh, regular owns that pop up throughout all of history, uh, for those, go to gameofowns.com. And don't forget, you can leave your comments either on the uh, episode post or in our forums at gameofowns.com backslash forums. And finally, you can rate and review us on iTunes. Uh, We take nothing less than five stars or you're forced to take the black. (laughs) Um, And that is just the way things roll here on Game of Owns. But uh, seriously, as always, we appreciate your feedback. We love uh, reading what you guys have to say, ways we can improve the show, you know, and uh, just your overall comments have been great so far. I haven't looked today to see how many uh, stars we have or, or how many reviews we have, but everything's been overwhelmingly positive and we really appreciate you guys coming along on this journey with us as we as we jump into the books. Very much so. Um, well, I believe that concludes our 15th episode of Game of Owns. Um, thank you all for listening. And for those who are reading along with us, thank you so much for that. Um, do continue to be encouraged to read and send in your feedback. Um, wrapping it up, I am Eric Skull. I'm Selena Wilkin. And I'm Michael Tannenbaum. We'll see you guys. Now it's really goodbye. <laughs> next week. Yes, goodbye for good. Bye.